0: My name is Robin Smith. I'm the CEO and co-founder of WeGoLook.com, and we are located in Oklahoma City, Oklahoma, the heart of the entire nation.
1: So you're a big Thunder fan?
0: We are. Everyone here is, uh, we, we Thunder up all the time. I've just bought a new road bike, and I almost purchased the one in Thunder Colors, but did not.
1: You go to the airport to welcome Paul George there?
0: No, I did not. I, I will say that uh, I go to the airport enough that uh, if I don't have to go there, I don't go.
1: <laughs> I guess, do you travel up for your job then?
0: I do. I. Travel quite a bit and so far, so good. I've uh, been to Canada three times this year, London, Italy, all fun things. I enjoy it.
1: Yeah. Is all that for work?
0: All of that has been for work. I will say what's funny you know, I have a lot of friends that think it's definitely glamorous to be able to travel a lot, and I try to let them know it's really not that glamorous to be at the airport at four in the morning or late at night or when the weather's bad or you miss home, but it's been good.
1: I'll uh, second that. <laughs> I do not travel a lot. But, like working from home, for instance, like I hear a lot of people like, hey, it's awesome. I'm like, yeah, well, if you do it for a while, you're probably, it's not everything that you think it is all the time. Well, why don't you go ahead and tell us a little bit more about We Go Look?
0: Okay, thanks, Austin. And, you know, I appreciate the opportunity to share our story and journey with you and your listeners. So thank you. Founded the company late 2009. I had a friend who was looking at a high-end projector on eBay and he thought that the seller was misrepresenting it and simply said, you know, I wish I had someone to go look at that for me. And I did some research at the time. Everyone was buying on eBay. You could tell that the trends for online purchasing were just going up. Couldn't find a service provider and thought, wow, this would be a really great way to help people mitigate their risk when purchasing something sight unseen. Just people like you and I, right? The, the consumer marketplace individual. So spent about a year recruiting what we call lookers. They're independent contractors. I went after mobile notaries, process servers, field inspectors, people that I thought would be mobile and out in the field, somewhat professional. Built a back-end platform and launched with a website that I'm still proud of, but sure, my marketing department now just would be horrified if I showed them some of the old pictures. <laughs> but uh, anyway, launched, uh, came out of beta December, 2010 with the mindset of being able to dispatch someone on demand on your behalf. So let's say, Austin, that you wanted to purchase a pinball machine that's in Kentucky, uh, but you're in California and you wanted to bid on that very quickly. So you'd simply place your order at Go Look and the uh, looker closest to that pinball machine in Kentucky could go and meet with the seller, take current photos, video a working demonstration, take measurements, answer custom questions you might have about the asset, and then bundle all of that up into an electronic deliverable and send it to you very quickly. So you would have current information and could make confident purchasing decisions and really felt like it was great service that people needed it to help them avoid scams and fraud. But this whole time when I was so excited to launch, I didn't realize that I would probably need a multi-million dollar marketing campaign <laughs> to really get the word out there for just the masses. I felt like people started kind of organically learning about it, it would kind of take off. And I was really excited to be able to take the solution to eBay. I felt like it was a no-brainer for them to place our link. In every single one of their ads. And so of course, that's what I did. And They told me when I arrived there at eBay that I didn't have enough business and I was too small and didn't have any experience. And they were correct in everything they said. My platform totally couldn't have handled the traffic at the time. So I came back to Oklahoma City with my head down just a little bit, but thought, you know what, that was good feedback. I'm going to work on it and continued to grow my community base of lookers and hired a couple of more people and started getting some inbound referral traffic from small and Mid-sized B2B clients like banks, credit unions, fleet companies that needed a nationwide footprint, but very customized data capture, and started performing what we call looks for them. So we're going out, we're capturing, we call our inspection reports or tasks looks, and had had some great success there. And I'm happy to continue telling you how we pivoted, but I get excited and wanted to tell you kind of how we started. And that was really the first piece of WeGo Looks' journey to getting launched and to kind of pivoting. And by the way, we. We are now eBay Motors official inspection arm. So we came full circle and that was a very gratifying reward and contract whenever we signed. So you can go on to any eBay Motors link and see a hyperlink to our website. And so that's exciting. So we are able to definitely help the individual consumer now, but we are primarily focused about 99% of all of our businesses for enterprise clients.
1: When you started the company, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Like day one, what you're doing <laughs> before that and sure. web designer or what?
0: <laughs> well, I actually had an extensive background in sales. I'd worked for the Washington Post, Cumulus Media, and my husband passed away and I really needed to be at home more with my two sons. I needed some additional flexibility. I had a great job. I was working for the corporate office. I was doing really well, but I wasn't able to be at home and I needed my partner there to help me and he wasn't there. So I um, started my own consulting business and primarily worked with auto dealers because that's where a lot of the marketing money He's at. And while I was doing that, realized that there, now you've got to remember, this is 2006, seven. So not everybody had the chat box or the fancy CRM platforms that they have now. In fact, some of the dealers I worked for didn't even have websites. They, you know, old school. So I really became fascinated with the internet at that time and started, I was like, okay, you guys need to set up these business development centers. You need to take these leads in. Here's how we. Need. so I started training and, and I had about 21 dealers at one time working on these type of projects and that really gave me some good exposure not only to technology to the automotive industry because I had to learn the dealer side and even some of the the OEM side in and out. And so that was one of the things when my friend was looking at that high-end projector at the beginning when he said, you know, I wish I had someone to look at that. We had calls coming into the centers for people wanting to purchase vehicles at a dealer, but they had extra questions and they were depending on the salespeople to go out and take pictures. So I knew there was a need for people to have this remote ability to capture data, but that's kind of where I was and it helped me kind of put the pieces in. My mind together when I figured out what I needed to do, but hired a a firm initially to kind of help with building out the platform.
1: If you're going home and being consulting, did you save up money to do all this? Because it seems kind of like a scary challenge.
0: Yeah, so definitely bootstrapped. I had a couple of silent partners who put in about 150,000 each into my idea, which was great. And so I had that money to kind of start. So around, I think a total of about 320. And then I I took a big pay cut. I was working. I ended up not doing my consulting. I just, I took a huge pay cut in a big risk. Just just kind of start getting this going. But um, yeah, I hired a firm to help me build this platform. And unfortunately, they did not complete the project. <laughs> it was a very expensive mistake. But, you know, I learned from that technology is kind of, you know, I'm not a a developer or an engineer, software engineer. So you're kind of at the mercy sometimes of listening to what people tell you. But I was able to hire this guy out of, um, he just graduated from OU and he came here and he was able to take what bits and pieces we had of the platform and make it work. So I'll never forget the day that an order came over all by itself. It solicited out by itself. The looker accepted the order, went out and did it and everything came back in and nobody had to touch anything. It was great. I knew from that moment, on, it was going to work.
1: Let's just say there's a young entrepreneur who's listening and they're kind of going through the same thing. They want to learn if they don't have any development background. Like I know the new guy could figure it out, but why did they leave you high and dry and left over with the platform?
0: Yeah, that was probably just an ethical thing for them, not finishing the project. I think it became more complicated than they thought, even though we'd kind of scoped it out. But that was something I had to learn, right? When you look at a scoping document, a lot of times firms or developers will give you just a real high level and not get into the weeds. And that's something I would tell everyone, really roadmap it out. It's going to take you, you know, a bit longer to do so. But if you can really chart out or, or map out your entire process in great detail, then that will help them a lot. But I think it was maybe they also just weren't able to help. I don't think they had the, the capability to do so. so. That, that, and that's all good. I learned from that. Um, that's helped me make decisions moving forward. But, you know, young people today, what I would also say, a, a piece of advice I learned is just do what's critical and necessary to get started, to move forward. I think some people that I talk to, they're like, well, I'm going to wait until this, this, and this, and then I'm going to launch. Well, a lot of times you could be losing not only valuable market share, you know, letting someone else come into the market, but experience, right? You could learn from your mistakes or you might get some valuable feedback that would determine possibly a new way of doing something. You, you some, And some people are, are so set in their ways of it has to be a certain way, but if you launch and you kind of learn and, and gain that experience, you can tweak it from there and, and make it an even more efficient process. So I would definitely put everything into a bucket I'm more impatient than probably most people, but I go with what's critical, necessary, what would be great to have, what I would like to have, you know, it's, and then what's my wish list? What does, what do I want it to look like in two years? Right. So I, I would definitely go with critical and launch and learn.
1: You hired this new guy on, and I mean, how much of the money was gone for the platform? And can you walk us through after that first transaction, what what happened?
0: Gosh, they took a little over a hundred thousand of my investment total. And then he was called Close to forty-five hundred dollars a month, and so um, I was kind of burning through. And that doesn't include some of the other things we were trying to do. So it's kind of burning through, but I was being very careful about it, burning through that investment. So I went to a local. It's called I2E. It's a state-funded. They, they help like they have a seed-step angel a group. They're able to kind of put you in front of the right investors. And there are those kind of resources and and groups out there. So I would highly recommend students or young entrepreneurs or older entrepreneurs who have an idea. Yeah and want to present it to kind of go there and, and have them help you with feedback. And so that's what I did. I went to this group and they had a program where um, they offered a non-recourse loan for about $100,000. And I applied for it, went through that process. And they actually, I, I was accepted. I qualified for it. So I was real excited about it until I was reading the terminology on the paperwork. And it was talking about a 20% interest rate. And I was like, well, what's this? And it's, you know, paying it back at a 20% interest. And they were like, but don't worry, you don't have to pay this back if you fail, right? And I was like, I don't plan on failing and I don't plan on paying 20% interest. <laughs> and what's what's really funny is, of course, I should have known that up front. So I would say that not understanding or having that business background kind of hindered me in some ways as well. I've had to learn as I go. So I, I would say this to your audience, you know, entrepreneurs have many different hats, your HR, your accounting, especially if you're very small, you have to do everything. You are com- you have to learn about compliance. So those are all things that, and frankly, a lot of that's boring to me. So it was a challenge for me to learn those things and, and be excited about it. But turn back around a couple of years later, ITE came up and they, they helped us go through a series A funding in October 14 of a little over 3 million. So that was a great experience. So uh, while initially it wasn't a good choice for me, it ended up being the best choice for me at a later time. So don't ever close a door. It would be another, something I would say. Well,
1: 2014 was Okay. That was five years basically after you started, it looked like. Can you fill us in in the gaps in between?
0: Sure. So my funding lasted for about a little over two years to maybe almost two and a half years.
1: The first 320K basically? Yes, Yes.
0: And then brought in one more investor for about the same amount. And then when they saw that I was gaining some traction, they invested a little bit more, but these are very small chunks, right? And then ended up buying, one of the other partners bought out that third, guy came a little bit later, which turned out to be very a lucrative decision for, for him. But yeah, so I was able to take my plan and show that we had some traction. And you know, we the business model was working. We were getting orders. It was just, I was learning how to scale. I was needing to, I'm on platform number three. We're about to launch platform number four. So, you know, had to learn a lot about that. And that's, that's very expensive, but that really helped carry me through. And of course was starting, we were starting to get sales, right? So we were getting money coming in. And then one of the partners, let me use a room in their office. So I didn't have that rent overhead. So that was very nice. So I would, I would say leverage any kind of relationship or resource that you possibly can. I, I certainly wasn't picky about where we needed to set up or we still, well, we're buying new furniture now, but just now, I mean, we've refurbished a lot of furniture and we've made the decision not to put new carpet in. And I mean, there's, you still have to look at your budget. It, it always amazes me when I see startups that raise, you know, 30, 40 million and they're spending money on a wine bar. And, and then, of course, later you'll see them in the news for, for failing a lot of them, but it's a definitely balancing act.
1: Can you talk more about it in the early years? It seems like it'd be a struggle, <laughs> especially the beginning when um, I guess the website probably, like personally, how that was taking a toll. Because if you have to go home and and how many children do you, do you have? Two. Okay, Two yeah. I guess you're taking care of them while trying to basically do a startup.
0: Yeah, which they were used to me working a lot anyway. But I will say that the startup allowed me to, you know, if I needed to take them to baseball practice or go to a basketball game or help them with homework, that still allowed me to do that. That's why I was still working for myself, so I was able to prioritize prioritize them in a manner that I wouldn't have been able to otherwise. So maybe I stayed up later and worked on things or maybe I got up earlier and worked on things, but I was still able to do the things that I needed and I didn't have to travel very much back then at all.
1: How many people work for you today and how much do you do in transactions?
0: I've got 135 employees here in Oklahoma City, 11 remote. And we are up to over 35,000 lookers nationwide. So that's a big start or a big jump from where we were for sure. And I'm sorry, what was the second part of your question?
1: But Yeah, I guess revenue wise.
0: Oh, yeah. So we are almost running. we're, We're super close to a million a month. And so we should be at least double that by this time, second quarter, Q2, with what we have in the pipeline. So we're scaling pretty quickly.
1: Why do you have to travel so much now as compared to before?
0: Well, I learned that my meetings... Okay, well, let me, let me take you back one step. So I talked to you about launch the company with the individual in mind, right? I wanted to be able to provide looks around the world for anyone who needed it. And then we kind of went to that B2B field services, on-demand field services type business model. But now what's really cool, our lookers have become part of the product Process. We have enterprise clients who are utilizing the combination of our lookers, our technology, and also our fulfillment center here in Oklahoma City to create new process flows that really are more efficient and cost effective. And, and let me tell you a good example. So let's say you have an insurance carrier who they typically will send out field assignment representative or an adjuster who might be you know very highly qualified that, that's getting paid $60,000, $70,000 a year driving a fleet vehicle and they're going out taking pictures of where an accident occurred, say at a controlled intersection. Well, now the order can come over into our platform. The solicitation goes out to lookers that are within a few blocks or miles of that property. And the first one to claim it can go over capture photos. Our fulfillment team reviews all the information and we have the completed scene inspection back to the carrier within an hour, which is much faster than they were getting before at a much lower cost. And so we're kind of, I don't want to say uberizing, (laughs) Uh, labor, but we're definitely augmenting and supplementing enterprise clients' own field force. And in some cases, we're actually helping them provide new service areas. So we running logistics for banks, executing finance. And so that's where the big shift has occurred. We can dispatch licensed drone operators, heavy equipment operators, teachers, pastors, realtors, anyone in our platform, people that speak Mandarin or Spanish. And so we have enterprise clients who are looking at how can we use that technology out in the field to make everything more efficient. And so I have to work with C-level groups or project teams at large clients in order to do so. Now I am starting to add to our sales team here, which will help with my bandwidth internally. But up to now, it's been pretty much myself. My COO can also go out on and meet and represent the company correctly. But we've just recently been adding professional salespeople to our team to help us with that.
1: Can you talk a little bit more about the BD to B model versus the B 2 C that originally that you were looking at?
0: Absolutely. So I think this is a really important message because I don't think you should sometimes be so set on an idea being a certain way that you're not open to other ways. Now, you'd, you'd also don't want to be distracted and put too much energy and horizontal effort versus more energy into a vertical effort. But So when Superstorm Sandy hit, we were performing property inspection reports for a client a large bank and they reached out and they said Robin we've got a client that's needing property inspections done very quickly there is there any way you guys can perform these and i said sure cuz i knew we had a famous certified booker there i was working the desk at the time and he got on his bicycle he went down he performed these this list of inspections in this very very large bank loved our turnaround time, they loved the report because we had customized the data capture for this other bank, right? So that was exactly what they wanted. This other bank obviously liked it. And then they told CBRE and Butler Burger, they said, we want you guys to start using we Go Look as a vendor. I was like, oh, B2B. And obviously these banks need this type of product nationwide. So if you start thinking about, and there are inspection companies that are in property and there are auto inspection companies and there are nationwide courier services, but there's no one that has a dynamic platform that allows all of those things to occur. And so if you start thinking about um, in Colorado, a bank might need to know if there are medical marijuana signs in the window. And in Oklahoma, they don't. Our platform knows that whenever the order comes over and a lot of times these other companies have what I would call archaic old technology. So we really were able to find a niche there and, and we specialize in what we call driveway inspections because we can meet with the person at their home, place of business, Starbucks, because we built our business model around that eBay auction turnaround time, right? And a lot of these other companies will take them days and days to get it fit into their schedule and that's not how we work around here. So that's really been great for us and we We've been able to take that and apply it to many different types of companies. So you think companies like Tesla Motors who don't have dealers, but they need to put a pair of eyes on trade-in vehicle that's in Spearfish, South Dakota. We can do those things. So I really learned to listen to our clients and be able to turn and pivot there.
1: I don't know anything about technology as far as your platform you have versus what the other people have. Mm-hmm. If you're trying to keep it simple, is there an easy way to explain this? And I guess originally, is that what separated you as well?
0: Um, originally, it wasn't my technology that separated me from everyone. And ultimately, my biggest barrier to entry is definitely our community. I think there are very large companies that could move forward with building millions and millions in technology, but they don't have the community that we've worked on for over seven years. But here's how, at a high level, our technology works. So of course, now we're completely mobile. But if you were to tell me, Austin, hey, Robin, take 25 photos of my desktop computer. I want these very specific photos and I want you to answer 25 very specific questions, whatever it might be, et cetera, et cetera, about about this asset. I can come back into WeGoLook and to our platform. And when the way we add these schemas into our technology, it turns around and drives those requirements back to the lookers that have experience in computers. So everyone is out there and they're required to take those 25 photos. We give them tool tips on what the photos should look like, but they have to follow that those instructions screen by screen. And then all of that data is uploaded, sent to our QA team. So that's when I'm talking about how technology drives the data capture itself and the actual being able to produce a consistent and similar report. So no matter who's doing it nationwide or how many thousands of people are doing it, the client's going to see a very similar deliverable. That's how we've built our technology. And we use, you know, geofencing, geotagging. We do all kinds of things with our lookers and, and trying to electronically manage this workflow. So our customers have a back end dashboard. They have their own like data repository where all of their reports are located. It's actually quite robust and dynamic technology platform for clients. In fact you're talking to young entrepreneurs, (laughs) I have a platform, an app and the field force. If people could actually just build a website, say an aggregator for people who want to maybe go check on grandma or home health, right? Mm -hmm. And offer that as a solution. Well, our app and our network and our platform could enable a young entrepreneur to just host the website and we, we do everything else and it's all transactionally based. So they don't, it's only pay, it's only per transaction. So it's pretty cool. We've built this whole turnkey solution off of our platform to help clients like enterprise clients.
1: So you're willing to give our listeners access to your platform so they can build their own businesses now?
0: I give everyone access to our platform. (laughs) (laughs) It's great. Yeah, Yeah, that's awesome. I love it.
1: I was just trying to think, even in the beginning when you started it, you said there are already companies that did it. I mean, was there anything that was holding you back? Because me personally, if I was doing it, I'd be like, well, there's already a company that does that. And like you said, there's already companies that do what you do. So tell us about like a confidence to get over that.
0: <laughs> well, okay. That's that's a really good point. So there, there are companies that do pieces of what we do. There's not a company that does everything that we do. So let's just say, and, and here's how I knew we had a better product. And this goes back to something I learned and I felt real confidence after I really, it kind of hit me one day. The guys over at Uber and Lyft They didn't know anything about transportation or logistics, but they did build a better customer experience utilizing technology that cost less. And so they've really disrupted both of those huge industries literally overnight. And so I feel like, you know, you don't have to be an industry expert necessarily to be an industry leader. And when I really let that sink in, that that helped me move forward too. But what I was confident in was our ability to offer multiple facet So in, in a very fast manner. So I'm just going to use a banking example where a, a bank is wanting to help one of their customers with a loan on their vehicle or pull equity out of their vehicle well they could go to some of these other vendors right they could hire an auto inspection company they could hire a notary service they could hire a courier service to be able to do the everything that we do with just one looker so we're displacing like basically three in one and we take custody of that order from the very beginning all the way to fulfillment so we have the front end so we're not just the people in the field and we're not just the call center we're we're, or the app or everything and there's there's nobody that does it. So I was very confident in the fact that we had a better solution because there were clients that might need notaries and also auto inspections. So, you know, think about the big auto inspection companies. Well, we go pick up keys. We can uh, execute financial documents. We can pick up license tags at the DMV. Those are things they can't do. And so an enterprise client would want to go with us because they can use us versus five or six, 10 different vendors, depending on what they're doing. So I, I did have, I felt like that was my value prop for sure
1: how are you able to do that now versus the other company like the dmv thing for example
0: Mm -hmm. we're able to do that very uh, so you have we build a schema our clients place orders and we can go pick up tags at dmvs and ship them we actually even have a team downstairs that ships out to the tags out to each individual vehicle owner
1: and what's a schema sorry
0: i'm sorry a schema is where, like, if you wanted to say, okay, Robin, I want you to take these photos of this desktop computer nationwide. It's what drives what we turn around. So if you want to go look at an online date, the schema would include taking photos of their appearance, taking a photo of their driver's license, you know, maybe we're videoing them on an interview. If you wanted a schema for an auto, we're going to take schema would include data capture on tires, on the, the VIN, odometer, things like that. The schema is really just what are the required fields on for the report.
1: You're just saying that, for instance, y'all could go to the DMV because the people send that to you versus if it was another competitor, they won't send all that information to them because they don't have the platform that you have to send it all.
0: So, so if you start thinking, if you look at some of the advertising, in some of the very large companies that are out there and you have, say, virtual finance companies for for vehicles, we can go out and take pictures of the vehicles. We can go take the documents that need to be signed and notarized to the buyer or we can pick up title documents and things from the seller. We can also, go, you can go, like I said, go down to the DMV and pick up license plate tags on behalf of the enterprise client and ship individually if there's that finance piece involved. That's what I would not really term as a competitor, but someone who's in the auto inspection space, all they do is go out and take pictures of the vehicle. They don't offer those tasking or customized schemas, if you will. They only offer vehicle condition reports.
1: That, that makes sense. Based on your name, I thought it was just pictures too, I guess at first. Yeah, I like the company too. So it's even more than just looking, it's doing tasks.
0: It is. And it's that's a good point because we're always like, we go look and do, but that's yeah, not a good,
1: know, <laughs> it's not a yeah, good, right. yeah,
0: we, we really specialize in low complex, high volume tasks. Okay. It's it's pretty great.
1: We do tasks?
0: Yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay,
1: that, that makes more sense. I'm trying to figure that out. All right, well, do, would you mind talking about dealing with your founders? I mean, it sounds like you had some people come in, some, one, at least one guy left. Tell us about dealing with that, just in general.
0: Well, in general, honestly, it was pretty frustrating mm-hmm. because they, of course, they were silent. Now they were supportive, but they were also, they weren't close to the business every day. So they didn't understand how some things were working and how other things weren't working. They didn't understand the frustrations of technology. It's it's a big feat to incorporate video into an app and transfer it. It doesn't sound like it would be, but but it is. So there's it was a little frustrating working with them. I needed more funds but I get it, you know, I was like, okay, you know, I would probably feel the same way too. I was just being impatient and I wanted more fun so I could move more quickly. And, um, that didn't ever happen. But, you know, and we had a couple of disagreements, but we also had some really good positive conversations as well. And ultimately, they had a really nice return because we sold 85% of the company back in January of this year to Crawford & Company, which is the world's largest third-party administrator of claims within the insurance space for a little over $36 million. And so their investment turned out to be probably one of their better financial decisions ever. But yeah, it was frustrating.
1: Can you tell us about selling? Like, how'd that feel? Have you able to? grow a business and sell it and then still work there? And did you sell all of your ownership shares?
0: So I still own almost 13% and my COO owns a little over two and actually wasn't looking to sell. I was working on raising series B round last year and Crawford approached us with an investment. And then the more they learned about us, they were like, we just want to buy you guys. And I wasn't really emotionally ready for that. It took me, it took me several weeks to kind of process and, and work through what that would look like. But I will say this. <laughs> (laughs) (laughs) And it wasn't about the money for me. It's about right now my partners wanted to sell, obviously, but it's always been about I want to see we go look be global, and we are. We're in UK, Australia, Canada. It's great, but I've always had that vision of scaling internationally, and this really allowed us to be able to do that more rapidly. Along with having the resources of Crawford behind us, they do over a billion a year in revenue, and they're again they're in about 120 countries, and just having that industry knowledge. Because I I've never this has always been a learning process for me. I've never been a CEO or had to run a company large like this before in my my life nor did I take classes for it <laughs> so it's all been a learning process and it it just felt like the right thing to do to be able to give my employees here a real career path to move forward and and just to ensure that stability of growth and so um, it's so far it's been a really good and it was the right decision but I absolutely am committed to seeing us get to where we're going a lot of people are like why are you not on a beach somewhere i haven't right. had time i like can't take off to go to the beach yet. One of these days I will though.
1: <laughs> that, that's why I asked about the full-time thing. It's usually after someone sells, even if they are still working there, usually it's a year or two and maybe part-time. So that's the something yeah. about that.
0: No, unless they want to fire me, but <laughs> so far they've been great. I signed a five-year employment agreement and want to, like I said, I want to see it grow and be what it can really become. It's like a, a mom watching her baby grow up and now it's time for them to be in college and really turn into an adult. That's kind of how I feel about it, but absolutely committed.
1: Well, what percentage did you own before you sold?
0: It was almost 30, 35 something.
1: So, yeah, you're able to cash out a good amount as well So um, Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, I'm good.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, I like, so, I mean, what, what's been the hardest part about doing this whole thing?
0: Hardest part about doing this whole thing. I would say that there were days where sometimes you just feel like you are just clawing and clawing and scratching and not making any headway whatsoever. And you feel like you're kind of stuck, like you're like not going anywhere. I'm working so hard and something's not happening here. And there's there's always a breakthrough when you come to those moments, right? Sometimes they last a day, sometimes they last a week, and it's just brutal because you just feel like those are the hard things. But there's always an upside to times like that. But I, I think that a lot of people don't realize there's a lot of emotional up and down roller coaster moments. And uh, kind of back to the beginning of our conversation where so many people are like, oh, it must be great to work for, you know, for yourself or you have control over it. Yeah, you know, not so much sometimes. Sometimes, Sometimes it's really sometimes I'd like to be able to go home and watch Dancing with the Stars or whatever everybody else is watching right or just be like oh hey they're doing that this weekend and I'm doing this weekend and I think that that my personal life has probably taken somewhat of a toll because I'm mom first and then I'm pretty much married to my job so I would say that and I will say that one of the things I'm trying to do better this year on is doing a little bit more things for myself fun things but it's it's not always pleasant and it, it can be a mental challenge sometimes. But it can also be amazing, right? It's yeah. it, On the flip side of that, you you take that to the amazing, awesomeness scale, and you're like, I wouldn't do anything else.
1: <laughs> For entrepreneurs that are like in that same position you were, where you feel like you're not getting traction and doing the mm-hmm. same thing, and what's your advice?
0: So my advice is, when you get in a rut and you feel you're in that little hamster wheel and you don't know what to do, just step out of it. Do something different. I don't care what it is. It, it, sometimes you you make a decision knowing that it's probably not the best decision, but it's a change. And anytime there's a change, there's a reaction, right? And and there's some sort of effect that occurs from that. And so I would, I always, I've always been like, okay, this isn't working. This isn't working. I'm going to do something at some point. And so that's my advice. It may not be the best advice out there, but it's worked for me. And and, and sometimes it's uh, looking at yourself. How can you change yourself? It's not sometimes so much about your business. It's like, what can I do to be a different type of person? Maybe I need to grow in certain areas so I can rise to being a leader of this company or making a better decision. What can I learn about now that might help? me with that. So finding resource materials to help with that is is good. And, And being involved, there's all kinds of organizations like One Million Cups, you know, with other young entrepreneurs. Those are good support groups to talk to other people that might be facing similar challenges and find out what they do.
1: Hey there, one quick message. Hope you're enjoying all of our episodes. If you are, then consider subscribing to our weekly podcasts. Just search for Millionaire Interviews in your podcast player. And be sure to look for the Chuck Norris album artwork. Is there any other suggestions as far as like support group? Because more than likely people listening are kind of looking for that if they want to learn and build their business. But mm-hmm. you know, you don't always have the entrepreneurs to talk to to bounce ideas off.
0: Yeah, you know what? And sometimes it's not even so much that it's but it's like, how do you have time to go to all your meetings all the time if you're part of an organization you're expected to go? So I really enjoy LinkedIn and I would love to link in with anyone here. Just look me up on you know, Robin Smith, we go look. I'd love to link in. But I think it's important to connect. There's different groups that like like, so if you have an entrepreneur that's, that's working on technology or maybe it's a medical field, they can find groups with similar people. And that, those are great groups to have topical discussion. I find that those are, are definitely good resources on LinkedIn and you can do it from your computer at any time. So you're not having to travel to an offsite location and you can reach people from around the world that way. It's not just limited to your own city.
1: What is the biggest challenge of, like as of today for your company?
0: The biggest challenge for my company is for people to know about us. It's just the, uh, and I think that's probably a challenge for a lot of good service because, you know, we don't have millions and millions of marketing budget, but it's, it's finding out about us really using our solution, but we're, we're really making some traction and headway there. And one of these days will somebody somewhere will do a huge story on us and you'll hopefully, <laughs> and, uh, and, and that'll be kind of a breakthrough, but yeah, I think that that's a, a big challenge for sure is, is just market awareness. Really the rest of it, we can work through and take care of.
1: I Ask that because, in case there's an entrepreneur listening, you're a bigger company than most of them that we've spoken with so far. But you know, if you have a challenge, maybe an entrepreneur out there has a solution for it.
0: Yeah, thanks.
1: And kind of closing, yeah, I appreciate you coming on and sharing the story. Sure. Is there any last words of wisdom you want to leave with us? Mm-hmm.
0: Well, I would just say to everyone who has their idea definitely, uh, gosh, okay, something that really helped me in the beginning is if you're like me at all, it's, it's like you have these great ideas and you're very action oriented. You, well, I'm not saying I have great ideas. I'm just saying that I felt like I did. And I I had these action items I'm always good at getting done, but I'm not good at putting everything down on paper and writing out business plans and doing the, what I call the, the tedious, like not so much fun work, but it's a great exercise. And if you can make your, pretend like someone is giving you two And you have to prove your business concept. You may know in your heart and your head, well, of course my business concept will work. But if you write down, how would you use that money? How would you like be able to show results, right? So not just say, oh yeah, 20 people bought it. How could you come up with that solution and then turn that into analytics to show someone that it actually worked? And that's such a good exercise because it makes you think very strategically about how am I offering this? How am I gonna take this and present this to an investor, by the way? That's very good exercise for that. But it also helps you see where you're focused at and where you need to apply more focus or less focus. And so I highly recommend spending several days on, it sounds not very fun and you feel like you already know in your heart and your soul and your mind all about your business and it's going to be great. But if you put it on paper and and map it out like a true business plan, it will really help.
1: Thanks again, Robin, for coming on and sharing your story.
0: Sure.